And we are back, part two of Venom Let There Be Carnage. We're about to do our trademark deep dive into this huge, huge, uh, this huge, huge um, moment in, in Marvel history with this important character in the Tom Hardy movie. Big shout out before we get going to Peter J, to Brandon Schmigilski, to Randall Schmidt, to Zach Thomas, Basta Beer. Sam, Bindi, and Sue P, the people that support this podcast the most. We we thank you so much for your support. You keep the lights on. You keep me and Will uh, in a position where we can uh, do all this kind of research, all this kind of investigation, all this kind of recording. Mm. Um, now, Will, we hand the show over to you for the deep dive. All right, let's press play. A uh, bit of trivia. The first Venom movie had the big Marvel comic book montage logo that the Sono movies... Sony movies have used uh, for, 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 for years. However, this movie doesn't have that at all. It simply says, in association with Marvel in the opening credits. I noticed that. I thought it was kind of interesting yeah. whether they felt they'd established themselves enough with the first movie. Because, you yeah, know, that, yeah. that, that, it's that flip, isn't it? It's been, they've, been, they've had it since, yeah. like, the first Spider-Man movie. And it's yeah, changed like, over the years, hasn't it? Well, the, the MCU one does the whole, like, the big 3D logo with the clips that embedded one, in the... Yeah, yeah but the Sony have had their yeah. their own specific one. And I think Fox did with the with the um, yeah. X-Men movies as well. They had some sort of in-associate... Once, MC, once the MCU became massive, yeah. I think they had this, we want to keep that association in play, but it just was a very simple bit of white text, wasn't it? Yeah. It's almost like that guy, like like someone's congratulating, everyone's congratulating this one guy, and there's one guy inside going, yeah, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's begin the story. In 1996, a young Cletus Cassidy watches helplessly as his lover, Francis Barrison, is taken away from St. Esther's home for unwanted children to the Ravencroft Institute. On the way in the police van, Frances uses her sonic scream powers to attack young police officer Patrick Mulligan, causing the van to tip over. But Mulligan quickly shoots Frances in the eye. Unbeknownst to Mulligan, who believes he killed her, Frances is still taken to the Ravencroft where her abilities are restricted. In the present day at the Ravencroft Institute, Frances is kept in special containment. The guards use a variety of noise dampening shields just to interact with her. Frances learns from a newspaper article written by Eddie Brock that her old lover, Cassidy, is in prison with the death penalty hanging over his head. Fairly simple start to a film. Does not mess around straight into the villain's motivation. It, uh, simple as. Yeah, also, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Also, uh, the, where the titles come in, they do the most dramatic bum bum, and I thought it was too on the nose. You know, it felt like an old film. Don't they? Don't, but don't doesn't like? Isn't that the same as like end like the Avengers? It comes up at Endgame. It comes and goes. Da, da, da. Doesn't that happen with MCU? But that's, that's as well? they play the theme. Da, 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 and that's sort of like oh, that's the theme. That makes right. sense. But this is like a typical bum bum bum. <laughs> Just right, like right. Very tropey, but that's me nitpicking. Also, there's going to be a bit of trivia in this episode throughout. So. Bear with us. Bit of trivia. Cassidy's childhood origin takes place in the year 1996, as we just said, when Woody Harrelson would have been, wait for it, my age, 35 <laughs> years old. I did think that. I did think, as we see this, like, yeah, like, like in 1996, Woody Harrelson would not have been, yeah. like, a 13-year-old kid. 
Yeah, um, it's uh, yeah, exactly. Very much not a child no. by, ni- <laughs> by, 19, by 1996. He's already done pretty much all of his most famous work. Cheers, White Men Can't Jump, Indecent Proposal, Natural Born Killers, and God. People versus Larry Flint. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like the first heyday of Woody, wasn't it? That was. Uh, 90s was his time. Of course, uh, I do love him in his other stuff. I mean, uh, True he's Detective with- Season 1 was outstanding. He was great yeah, in He's that. got lots of other movies and stuff since. He's come back with a lot of other great appearances and great roles and stuff. But I do, Even yeah, though he, he plays the same character, run. he plays the same character in each thing he's in. Even when, do, do, he, No matter if he's good or bad, he is the same person. But I like that, what he plays. He's kind of very folksy, uh, kind that's, of... That's just... that You're talking about a, an accent. <laughs> he kind of talks the same like... Like the character in True Detective and the character in Hunger Games and the character in No Country for Old Men are very different people. Yeah, but they, <laughs> they the have same. the same voice. That's called it's his voice. <laughs> when I think actor, I think, oh, he's a completely different voice. person. Like, you're Colin Farrell. You know, like what like you that. want is Tom Ardu does a silly, a different silly voice in every different silly movie. <laughs> That's why this is the perfect combination. It's the man who always has a different silly voice versus the man who's always got the same silly voice. <laughs> what That's the showdown. That's the spectrum of acting, and we will not step down from this hill. So, Cletus, Cletus, Cletus Cassidy, this is our first look. Did Cassidy grow up in a home like this? In 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 the com- well, yes, he does in the comics. Although it is not called the home for unwanted children, That's because a bit it's on the, the nose. Like this movie seems to seems to treat the nineties like it's the eighteen nineties. <laughs> Throw all those unwanted children into a world. Like, there's not going to be a place in nineteen ninety six called the place for unwanted children. Are you mad? The street for fallen women. Um, <laughs> like district. So yeah, in in the very first Carnage story, nineteen ninety uh, two, um, Peter Parker uses the Daily Bugle to do some research into this nefarious character Cletus Cassidy, um, and he does. A background check and discovers that Cassidy lived in this uh, this St. Estes is the name of it home for boys, an orphanage and that it was kind of ravaged by a fire and yeah. after the fire the disciplinarian, the, the administrator's mm. dead body was found her skull smashed in um, and Pete wonders whether this was the first murder committed by this, this serial killer mm. and what kind of monster he's dealing with because he's kind of, as Danny as, as Danny Buckler kind of alluded to in his letter, when he talked about it's odd with with seeing Spider Man face serial killers, it's not really something that that Spidey does. So this is kind of a real weird case for Spider Man. Um, Spidey goes to the ruins of the Saint Estes home for boys to to search for clues, um, and. So it's this, it's this burned down ruins. It's been burned down for many many years. Mm. Um, there's still kind of you know b- parts of the of the building are still up and intact. There's some yeah. floors of it, but it's all you know completely abandoned. And he finds there someone uh, talking to themselves. And at first, Spider Man thinks it's a child because they're talking to someone called Mister Binky. And <laughs> Spider Man discovers it is a completely naked Cletus Cassidy. Ooh, a deranged lunatic is stark naked, sitting around a fire, talking to a damaged teddy bear he calls Mister Binky. Yikes! <laughs> this is our first. This is our not our first introduction, but this is our first sort of appearance of St. Etius and, and 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 Carnage. And as soon as um, 
Cletus sees that Spider-Man's around. He turns into Carnage, and they have this great big, this kind of big fight. Um, and Spidey, we also find on the walls as an Estus scrawled a message in blood: "Carnage rules." Um, and <laughs> Carnage would go on to paint that in blood at the sight of all his victims in his first story. Ah, uh, um, okay. Like for anyone that's kind of a bit younger, in the older days. Certainly, I remember this happening a little bit in the nineties when I was at school. But like, you would if you loved a band, you would write like like Nirvana rules or yeah, Nirvana yeah. rock. But it, maybe it was rocks in the seventies and eighties and rules and then like rule. Oh, this rules! That was a big nineties word. Rules. Yeah. So you would write like um, like Soundgarden rules. What you <laughs> that'd be graffiti? You would spray paint or something. That's incredible. So there was. 90s. That kind of they're an amazing band. I love Soundgarden. Yeah, really um so this is that kind of vibe to it. Um Spidey realizes uh, that there are no victims a- around when he first sees this message. So um Carnage has written this in his own blood. <laughs> He's cut himself Ooh, open and hello. uses blood enough blood to make it look like graffiti. Um more blood than Sideshow Bob used. When uh, Bart Simpson, I'm amazed we haven't had a Cletus reference so far, guys. It's been uh, a staggering effort in self-control. Some folks will, some folks will merge with a symbiote, and then some. Then again, some folk will like Cletus, the slack-jawed serial killer. So decades <laughs> later, there would be a story that would want to fill in all the gaps in in Cletus Cassidy's childhood. A huge mistake, if you ask me. Yikes. Same with the Joker. Same with Wolverine. Mm. Stop it. They need to be mysterious. Yes, um, agreed. As an orphan, uh, Cletus was 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 sent to this home um, where he, he had this very antisocial, disturbed behaviour, behavior, and it made him um, an outcast and, and a target of bullying. He was bullied and got abuse from the other orphans and, and the staff as well. Um, and these stories, these later stories that come several decades later, after the 90s, sorry, they do confirm that Cletus did indeed murder the the orphanage administrator and burn the place to the ground when he was a kid. I, I, I really think, it, 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 I, I can think of like maybe X-Files or some movie about, you know, the FBI and a serial killer or whatever. I can, that scene plays in my head of they track down some information and they don't have a definitive answer, but they go, yeah, when he was a kid, the place he was staying at burned to the ground and yeah. they found a body. They don't need a definitive answer. They know they know what they're te- telling us. And it's spookier and more sinister that someone got away with something. But no, in the world of comics, it's right, we need to, we need to confirm whether this happened in a six-part story. Anyway. It, 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 I, not, 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 not to criticise comic book writers, but it does feel like we haven't scraped this barrel yet. We're yeah. out of ideas. Yeah. Like, no, don't, don't. But don't. look, look, it's the same. It's the same in movies, and why we, you know, why we're getting uh, like a twelve-part miniseries about one of the Adams family characters, and why yeah. we get this, that, and the other. It, you know, movies scrape the barrel for everything, don't they? They just don't have any original ideas. I mean, I heard Wednesday was was a good show, but still, at the same time, they're going. I'm fine. I tried. I tried. Here's the problem. You've yeah. seen the original movies. You may yep. have seen the, the the refund TV show. The Adams family plays on one concept that the guy next the, the house next door, the neighbors next door are weird and kooky monsters. Yeah. And in that in the real world, that's odd and it and it opens itself up to all these 
interesting and funny things. The neighbours come round. Well, we've got a ghoulish butler and a hand that walks. Around. Like the 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 the, yeah. the the school principal comes out to talk about the kids. Well, the kids are like a little vampire or whatever. Like same with the monsters a little bit. That you you take this weird thing and you put it into next door in the real world, and you have all these straight people bouncing off it and coming up against yes. it. This kicks that out of the freaking window and says, no, what if it was Harry Potter? <laughs> what, if, what if they're weird in a world where everyone's weird? And you go, yeah. well, then you've killed the concept. Yeah, and I'm not no. saying the new concept is no good. I'm, I'm sure it's kind of fun and everything. It's, it's Harry Potter, but with the Adams family. But I was so annoyed at what they had done. They're no longer quirky and kooky. If everyone's quirky and kooky... So I was frustrated. <laughs> maybe I'll get back around to it. Lots of lots of good actors and things in it, so maybe maybe it's fun. That's a know. tranche insight right there. It just bugged the hell out of me that they just really drowned the whole concept. Imagine if um my my new movie, it's called James Bond, right? And in the James Bond movie, everyone's a spy and everyone's got cool gadgets and everyone works for a spy agency. All of them. And they're yeah. all doing a cool mission. All of them, and they can all have any sexual partner they want, whenever they want. Everybody, and they've all got cool cars. That's my movie. It's great. Back to Venom. <laughs> <laughs> In the present day, Mulligan is now a detective and asks journalist Eddie Brock to speak to serial killer Cletus Cassidy in San Quentin State Prison, as Cassidy refuses to talk to anyone other than Brock. At this point, Venom. Brock's alien symbiote sneaks up behind Mulligan and tries to eat him until Brock wrestles the creature into the ladies' room. The two have an argument in a cubicle while the symbiote displays dis- with the symbiote d- displaying disdain for Eddie and insisting they should be out on the streets protecting the city with lethal force. The two argue about Eddie screwing up his relationship with Anne before the alien finally convinces Brock to talk to Cassidy. Okay, Mulligan is played by Stephen Graham. Absolute national treasure. Uh, yeah. British actor Stephen Graham. Americans might know him from things like The Irishman, Boardwalk Empire, and of course the very mm. recent, very good, very, very good film, Boiling Point. Uh, if you've ever worked in a kitchen like I have, you will know how stressful it is and it captures it perfectly. But he's a massive figure in British drama with roles in This Is England, Save Me, Taboo, Line of Duty, The Virtues, and a whole lot more. You know what? I forgot about The Virtues before. Jeez. I what a... I mean, it oh, was a, it's hard going, man. Was it it's Shane hard Meadows? going. It was a Shane Meadows thing, wasn't it? I'm not sure if The Virtues is Shane Meadows. I'm not sure. I swear it was Shane Meadows, but the way it plays out at the end, you just did not see coming. It was... one, of, Also one of the most accurate portrayals of alcoholism I've ever seen. Yeah, he's an absolute mess, but um, not in a kind of... They, there's absolutely no glamorization in it whatsoever. It really is just and also and disgusting. for me. I was there was this, just when I thought, oh, you know what? Maybe Line of Duty isn't going to be so good this year because it can't possibly top next year. Stephen Graham is the me- like. Is it worth watching that show? Because I stayed away because of the hype. Again, yeah, it's brilliant. It's one of my favorite. I mean, the ending is up for debate, but yeah. I absolutely loved it. Yeah. About to say it sounds like the Sopranos. Then <laughs> took me. It took me a little bit. It took me a few episodes to really get into it. Because mm. it, but but I don't want to spoil anything. It's if you think it's a simple story, 
it's not. And that's the most I'll say. Because that is the best, most fun for me. Um, I thought it was a simple... I thought it was quite a pedestrian, simple story when I first started watching that first episode and the next one. And then it isn't, and it's really good. Okay, I might get onto that. Anyway, back to the film. At San Quentin Prison, Brock meets with Cassidy, with the reporter not knowing why he is there. Cassidy asks Brock to get a message out to Cassidy's fans in return for his life story, including all horrible secrets laid bare, which would put Brock back on top of his journalistic career. The message Cassidy requests, a short poem, is a coded message meant for Francis's eyes. After the visit, Brock listens to Venom's demand to take over and uses the mad scrawlings from Cassidy's cell to deduce where the locations of Cassidy's victims have been buried. Find, finding them, the remains in the location that Venom correctly guessed, the authorities instate the death penalty on Cassidy while giving Brock's career a much-needed boost. But at the same time, this enrages Detective Mulligan as Eddie's published, published his findings instead of giving the tip to the police. The back and forth between Brock and Venom uh, feel like it's played more as a comedy film than a superhero film, but... It, it, it's pretty it's it's pretty good when it you know when it makes me laugh i laugh a lot but then sometimes it doesn't i feel like oh this isn't as high high tier as some of the the mcu films and some of it great some of it works i don't well. know I, I um yeah i i i have a hard time adjusting to this being um the venom dynamic personally yeah but I think that's, that that's was it was kind well. of established in the first movie uh just to think of it something different i don't i don't there's a lot of this kind of general general comedy in the mcu movies whilst the main dramatic story is getting going as well i don't know i don't think it's vastly different from the kind of comedy you might get in in ant-man or guardians or whatever so speaking of like bickering and arguing like they were here like is this what they're like in the comics no (laughs) (laughs) thought side thought so no not at all these these movies uh, make the symbiotes these kind of fully fledged personalities, yeah. which they are really not in the comics. Um, the symbiote in the comics does not have a name, a voice, a personality. Hmm. Uh, they, listen, there, there are. There's been a big resurgence in in recent years in symbiote stuff. Maybe that's changed. I'm talking about the vast majority. I'm talking about the established history of these characters for decades and when they started is kind of like the crystallization of the character and for decades going on that's what i'm talking about maybe yeah. in the recent null stuff i don't know something wacky happened um but they don't they don't really have these kind of personalities and and and, and names and stuff like the the symbiote doesn't eddie and like the symbiote is not called venom it's not venom and eddie brock eddie brock and the black symbiote together okay. are venom Right. Like, whereas okay. in this movie, it's Venom, the alien, and Eddie, the human. That's not <laughs> it whatsoever. It's Eddie and Venom, <laughs> the wacky neighbor. So, in the comic books, when we first meet Venom, yeah, Eddie has fully bonded to the symbiote. Mm. The entire reason Spider-Man had to get rid of the creature was not because it was evil or hurting him in those original stories, mm. but because it was a parasite yeah. that was going to permanently bond with him, and he would stop being an individual. Yeah. When we meet Venom, this has already happened to Eddie. He is not his own man. He is a new composite being. Mm. Um, 
so so yeah in this movie the symbiote and the human are different separate entities that talk to each other like this and it manifests out of him whereas in in the comic books the symbiosis is total and complete mm. like that's why in the comic books venom always says we instead of yes. i we are venom um I don't know if he has a separate set of thoughts going on in his head. That's never externalized in, uh, especially not in the all the major Venom stories I've read from the nineties, mm. um, the eighties and the nineties. So there is not a text box showing the aliens' thoughts as if it's having a dialogue with with Eddie. That's not exist. What you see is Eddie Brock talking out loud. Uh, saying yes yes we will do this yes he will not escape and you go well he's he's a lunatic he's a crazy person he's a psychopath <laughs> maybe he's just talking out loud and but maybe it's some thoughts running through his head or some feelings or some intuition or whatever um it's it, it's not like this it's not a two distinct characters talking and having a conversation right that makes sense that makes sense back to the film venom is losing control of his aggression the alien feeds on a substance that can only be found in chocolate and brains. Venom demands to be let loose to maim and kill bad guys, saying they should become a lethal protector. Eddie talks Venom down, reminding it that they are still being invested, investigated by the FBI over the events of the first movie. If anything suspicious happens, then they could be hauled off to Area 51 to be dissected. Venom talks about being a lethal pr- protector, uses that phrase quite a lot in this film. Is that anything that is that, is that something that comes from the comics? Yes. Um, oh, 1993, okay. Venom Lethal Protector is a six issue comic book series. There it is. Um, written by, by his creator, David uh, Michelin. Um, th- this marks the first time that Eddie Brock receives a starring role. Like a series of his own, where he's the main, he's the lead character, he's the protagonist, um, and it shows Venom's progression from like a villain to a, an anti-hero, hmm. um, and it's also the first time that like Eddie is. It's the first time he moves to from New York to San Francisco, so we get that connection in Lethal Protector. Um, it's the first Lethal Protector is the first time we get kind of a bit more depth to Eddie Brock's life is we learn a bit more about his life before the symbiote and stuff or before the spider-man things and for a little while in the 90s lethal protector was attached to venom in marketing stuff as kind of like an unofficial <laughs> nickname like how superman is the man of steel batman is mm. the cape crusader or the uh dark knight yeah like you'd yeah. get a you get um, a really cool marvel trading card with venom on it and it would say venom lethal protector yeah. it, but no one in story would call him the lethal protector that would be a little odd but on merchandise on toys things like that lethal protector was was kind of Marvel was trying to connect and attach that to Venom. It never really caught on, I don't think. Um, but I, but I also probably because the character's popularity dived a lot in the nineties, and so perhaps didn't have enough time to to stick in fans' minds like Man of Steel or, or, or Dark Knight or whatever. It's like Batman's rainbow suit. <laughs> in what way? Oh, you know, something that quickly passes by. You know, like the fans don't really remember it, but then it's like they uncover and go, "Oh, this happened." All those weird gadgets Batman has. I don't agree with you, Will. 
<laughs> but okay. I made a stab in the dark and got like Batman in the didn't shoulder. have a, 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 a comic book series called Batman and the Rainbow Suit that was six <laughs> issues long and really popular. Lethal Protector had that. Okay. Rainbow Suit was just another wacky thing Batman did in 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 the glory days of the sixties. Okay, well that's. Uh, but 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 people definitely definitely associate gadgets with Batman. Let's move on. Yeah, faux pas. Yeah, you should. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on before I move on to a different podcast. <laughs> Marvel versus Marvel versus Marvel. I don't know. When his next sorry, when his local store is all out of chocolate, Brock transforms into Venom and breaks into a chicken farm to guzzle down some chicken brains. Venom then goes. But tearing how is there the... a chicken farm in downtown San Francisco? I didn't get that. Like, I don't what, know. what is that place? I don't know. I, Here's some I, residential I, properties and a big chicken farm. Maybe it was a battery chicken farm. But is that again, a thing that you have near where people live and near shops? I, I, and I bars. Think, I think uh, city uh, city code, city area coding, is you have to have. A, uh, a a chicken farm within city limits. Right. If if it's useful for the plot of a movie. I see. I see. That makes <laughs> sense. Yeah. Okay. That's official city coding. Anyway, very. Then the alien tells Eddie that they are wasting their talents by laying low and eating chickens. Spotting a mugger attempting to rob someone, Venom grabs the bad guy and is about to bite his head off until Eddie talks him out of it at the last minute. So, bit another bit of trivia here. Stan Lee makes a posthumous, posthumous cameo on the front cover of a magazine at Eddie's local store. Yeah, yeah. Is it his first since since end since his since Endgame or something? I think it might have been. He came out before No Way Home. I don't remember anything happening in Black Widow with Stan Lee. No. Yeah. Wow. I don't remember it in Shang Chi or Eternals. No, I don't. I don't remember that either. Oh well. So we oh, see. Well. Oh well. That's, He's that's, dead that... now. Oh well. Oh well. No more cameos. Oh well. It'll be it'll be Wong making all the cameos now because he appears in everything. Um, we see one brief moment of Venom trying to stop a mugger. Is he like this in the comics? Does he actually become a vigilante, or is it just for brains? He does. He does sort of. Yeah. I, although I, I did know. Do you know? It's like I don't think you recapped it in 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 the in in, in the notes, but like. He goes to stop the mugging, but the the woman, the the supposed victim, has already stopped the mugger. She's kicked ah. him between the legs, and the mugger is like cannot handle what's going on. And then Venom just comes down and like kind of pretends he's helping, and then ah. he, you know, okay. um, so I, I, yeah, he 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 does like Lethal Protector series um, opens with. Uh, like a mugger is like stolen a woman's purse in a dark alley, and then he's like, "You ain't got much change here. Maybe I'll take what I want some other way." Ooh. So there's this horrible attempted rape, um, and Venom just comes down, and he, my interpretation is he murders the rapist. He plunges his uh, uh, his uh, uh, like a tendril of his symbiote into the guy's mouth and Ooh. chokes him to death. Um, and then he hands the purse back to the woman and pats the victim on the head, saying, <laughs> there's no need to thank us. Your joy is reward enough. Um, that's, that's almost like Robocop. Yeah, yeah. It has that yeah, vibe to it, doesn't it? I love and, it. And 92, very close to it. Um, yeah. And then he, he, he does start to help a community of homeless outcasts that you see. He sees being targeted by kind of like a shadowy agency yeah. and gets involved in that. And that becomes a big yeah. sci-fi story and stuff. Yeah, that um, sounds cool. But 
yeah, then 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 Carnage emerges, and Venom becomes a heroic vigilante almost by default. Mm. Like he has plenty of personal battles trying to stop and kill Carnage, but because Carnage is the worst, he he's kind of make, it makes him a hero by default. So like Venom is almost a, especially in the nineties is defined by opposition. Mm. When his adversary is Spider Man, he's a de facto villain. Yeah. But then Carnage comes along. That's his adversary, and Carnage is awful, so he's a de facto hero. So yeah, and he kind of swings. He, he swings back to being hunted by police and, and 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 wanted and being a criminal and being on the probably a bit more on the villainous side. In fact, no, he does. Yeah, because he joins the Sinister Six at one point as well. Oh, he does actually join the Sinister Six. Uh, much later on, yeah, it doesn't go very well, and then I think he tries to kill all of the Sinister Six. <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, it kind of depends how he's being used. But I would say in his most popular period of time, um, at mm. like the peak of the character, yes, he was he was a more probably a more like you say, Robocops are more much more competent than than this attempt, which is an alien. This kind of feels like the wacky alien from outer space doesn't understand Earth. You know, yes, yeah, and it's kind of, of like I help you, and you know that kind of thing. I've just got the image of him patting someone on the head now. <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty funny. That's that's good. I like that. Minutes later, Brock is contacted by his ex-fiance and Weying, who tells him that she is now engaged to Doctor Dan Lewis to Venom's displeasure, and also suspects that Venom did not die at the end of the last movie and is still a part of Eddie. An emotional Brock goes on a wild motorcycle ride while talking to Venom about his current turmoil, with Venom telling his host that he will help get him through this. Everyone who knows about Brock's secret, like Anne and Mrs. Chan, seems to be treating Venom as some kind of weird mate. It does trivialise the symbiote a bit. I know it's for comedy, but I just remember there being an all- this almost sci-fi horror aspect of places in the first film in regards to an alien symbiote possessing people and now it's just hey it's a buddy comedy yeah very much yeah like i, I yeah like Anne is way too comfortable like she, like she wasn't the first one because she was possessed by the symbiote in the first one and was first one, way yeah, too comfortable with it yeah um, it it's it it's just trivializing it a bit and just making it seem a bit more fun than if dark. we if we hold it in the same position as the first movie yes yeah um yeah. or it's do or it's doing its job I don't know it's it's hard it, isn't it like it's very it's, inconsistent the tone the tone's very inconsistent from these it's two movies inconsistent but at the same time I kind of like it so oh I enjoyed this movie way more than the first one I agree I did I'll not come, really enjoy the first movie the f- yeah, it was to- okay. The first movie was a 5, 6 out of 10. Didn't and I think the strongest part of that first movie were the few bits that it was trying to do some funny stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So okay. maybe they just leaned into that. Also, is it me, or or does Venom's voice sound like Tom Hardy doing an impression of the Cookie Monster? As soon as you said that to me, I couldn't think of anything else. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's an evil <laughs> Cookie Monster. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagine him eating chicken's brains a la the cookie monster. Just all falling out of his maw because there's no like back to it. It's just no felt. Yeah. Anyway, the next morning, Brock receives a letter from Cassidy who invites Brock to attend his execution, seeing that the reporter is, in the eyes, in the serial killer's eyes, responsible for Cassidy going to his death. In the letter, Cassidy reveals that as a child, he murdered his grandma and his mother before being beaten nearly to death by his father and committed to St. Esther's home for unwanted children. So this is what Cassidy's childhood is like in the original comics. He's a murderer pretty much from the get-go. 
<clears throat> oh, um, it's 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 inconsistent. It's hard. So it's established in the nineties that Cletus has this this this, this, this abusive childhood. Mm. Although it's not really expanded on much, and then there's mentioned that he, oh, what was the first? There's mentioned that he killed his mom's pet dog with a power drill, because Ooh. his mom loved the dog more than him. Then we don't really get to see, but that contradicts something that we learned a bit earlier about his mom dying when he was dying earlier earlier so th- th- there's a lot of inconsistencies um they it, they mentioned that, that peter parker goes and interviews all these people that knew cletus cassidy um and none of them really want to talk but the few do like he speaks to a crossing guard from the school he went to who says we could never prove it but he pushed that girl in front of that bus <laughs> so when he was young he like pushed a girl in front of a school bus and get ready for the six-part comic book series that goes into it, whether or not he pushed this girl in front of the uh, school well, bus. oh well it's not quite that but it uh, yeah I'm 2016 they do go into his childhood mm. um and we we see like there's a story where we see cletus's um memories of his childhood so we see that he so his wheelchair bound grandmother had sent him out for a pack of cigarettes Mm. he returns with the wrong brand and she verbally abuses him and hits him um and he and forces him to call him to to call himself and admit he's a bad boy so cletus snaps shoves her wheelchair and her down the stairs to, to the basement and kills her um then there's some conflicting memories that conflict other stuff like so there's in one story he has a memory of his father Roscoe beating Cletus with a belt. Mm. Cletus's mother intervenes to save him. Roscoe hits or shoves the mom who falls down, hits her head and breaks her neck and she dies. In another story or another telling it happens when Roscoe is beating Cletus's mom. She gets her neck broken that way. So it, it's it's and then there's another then 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 someone gets confused and says it happened when Cletus's mom was trying to save her dog, which Cletus was trying to kill. So it's all over the place. But eventually, Marvel basically admits that they've published contradictory stories about Carnage's childhood, and they essentially say, "Well, all these events are based purely on Cletus Cassidy's memories, and he is a nut job, an insane <laughs> lunar." So none of his memories actually make sense. Some of them might be fantasies. Some of them might never happen. Some of them might have been. So it's yeah. What so we do know. Like, sorry. Yeah. It's like a like a unreliable narrator almost. Yes, I what love we, that. What we do know. Well, it wasn't intentional. They just they just messed up. Will they messed up over about four day of three decades? Oh. Well, I um, hate that. Then. What we do that. know is that his father Roscoe is arrested for his wife's murder, which might be the mom or the or, or stepmom, I don't know. And Cletus tells the cops that his dad definitely did it on purpose. I saw it happen. Stands witness against his father at trial, who was then sentenced to death. Mm. Um, so, yeah, that's... That, yeah, that is definite. And and then... Um, the little... There's a, there's a... They expand on the story of the girl and say that... Cletus, when he was at school, had a crush on a girl. She rejected him quite horribly, so he pushed her in front of a school bus. Doc! Back to the film. (laughs) I wish we had a soundboard and we could clip that, because I want to play it in future episodes. (laughs) 
<laughs> whenever, whenever yeah. I don't know what we might be doing, but we're looking just, at something and just. I don't know. There's a podcast I love called Dynamic Banter, and they they go overboard with the soundboard, but it works for them because they're very improvisational and silly, and very messy. But like, oh man, I can imagine eventually annoying you with soundboard overuse. Oh, and I'd have to have control of it, yeah. Oh, if you had control of it, it wouldn't be any fun. It'd barely happen. Be like That's asking, right. When it did happen, it'd be impactful. Be like asking Grandad for the Werther's original. Yes, you can have one. And then maybe another one in an hour. Oh, I love anyway, Werther's originals. The oh, they're lovely. Lovely buttery candy. Someone was trying to get me to drink Jack Daniel's honey the other day. And mm. I said, no, what you've got there is liquid Werther's originals. <laughs> it's foul stuff. No, I like the honey one. It's nice. Yeah, I'm sure oh, but, you but do. To be honest, Jack Daniel's is it's sweet enough as it is. Anyway, back to the film. Brock visits San Quentin Prison. Venom says no one would miss any of these convicted criminals if they killed and ate one of them, which prompts Eddie to say that it's impossible to know <coughs> if any of these prisoners are in fact innocent of their crimes. Eddie visits Cassidy for a private interview before he's sent to the execution chamber. Cletus says that he feels a kinship with Eddie. They both had abusive fathers, and Cletus says he recognises that deep down they are the same. They are family. Right, remember that, because at the end of the movie, they whiff a line. They absolutely just fail to capitalise on what they've already established about 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 this dynamic. I don't know, any time I hear any of this, I keep thinking of... Uh, do you remember the film Spectre, when it gets revealed that Ernest Blofeld is in fact like the stepbrother of Bond... And it's just like, and then someone pointed out that they basically ripped off from Austin, one of the Austin Powers movies. That we're not the, we're the same, you and I. And then it turns out they're brothers. Right. It just, what? it's the trope of, we're, we're, we're the same, you and I. The right. villain says to the, yeah, says yeah, the yeah. hero, okay. we're the same. We're almost like family. And it's like, it's, it's a trope that's been done a few times recently, and I always find it hilarious whenever it happens. Okay. Well, that's Good. just me. <laughs> but then, I'm talking about something a little bit different in that they set up mm. this whole. They set this up from the start. Yeah, yeah. He says we're the same. We had the same. We had the same dad. Mm. We later find out that like Carnage is a, Carnage calls Venom his father. Ah. And then at the very end of the movie, when <laughs> Cassidy is dying, he says, "Don't you understand? All I ever wanted was and." You feel he's going to say a brother or family. All they wanted was family. And he says, a friend. I was like, no, no, that's not what the movie has been driving towards. You've established the family concept on three different occasions. You can't have him say friend at the end. Well, we've just got reached the end of the film with that. So I guess we Carry pack, on. Up Carry pack up early on this Carry episode. On. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> The interview turns very tense with Cassidy throwing damning words at Brock. Cletus calls Eddie a cancer that ruins everything he touches and tells him that he'll die alone. This goads Venom into reaching out a symbiote tentacle through the prison bars to grab and attack Cassidy. Cletus grabs Eddie's hand and bites him hard, drawing blood. As the guards separate the two, Cassidy licks Eddie's blood and says that he had tasted that blood before and whatever is in Eddie's veins... Is not blood. Cassidy looks at Eddie's blood on his finger and sees it start to move around like a red version of Eddie's symbiote. 
I like the uh, illustration bit for Cassidy's letter. The little nice yes, that sequence. was really, that was really, that was really um, inventive and 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 different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely love that. Great little visual bit. Uh, Woody Harrelson does all right in this. I mean, I've seen him do better, but he's as good as he needs to be here. Oh yeah, I don't think anyone's put. I don't think anyone's working hard in this movie, are they? Yeah, no one's working. They're putting hard. in the hours. They're, they're yeah, yeah. They're they're, they're they're clocking in. They're clocking out, but. He's he's doing well for this for that sort of level. I think yeah. Harrelson is. Yeah, he's doing good. So, is this how Cassidy gets his powers in the Marvel comics? What do you think? I think he did. It's sort of, but not really. There it is. We need to get a little sound effect for that. So, as an adult, um, Cletus Cassidy has become a notorious serial killer. Mm. Um, later retcons will even reveal that he's a cannibal. Um, but he is ultimately arrested, sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences at Rikers Island. And during that, he gets a new cellmate, one Eddie Brock, mm. having been defeated by Spider-Man and separated from his symbiote. Um, and uh, Cletus dismisses Eddie's kind of claims of being Venom, um, as Venom kind of like, as Eddie rants and raves about the symbiote is going to return, it's going to return for him, it's going to help him break me out, and Cletus thinks, this guy's nuts. Mm. Um, and he tries to tries to kind of convert Brock to his nihilistic, homicidal philosophy on life that an average person can commit murder and make themselves famous, make themselves a star, make themselves better than the average workaday person by committing murder. Um, you just got to have the courage to do it. And Brock is, like, disgusted by this worldview because he's a person that thinks of... Like, the the, the kind of thing that David uh, Michelin was trying to kind of say when he, when he introduced Carnage is that the yes, the main thing about about Venom is that Venom hates Spider Man, but the basis around that is that Venom sees himself as an innocent person whose life was ruined by Spider Man, mm. and his whole thing is I must protect innocence from this type of awful person. Yeah, so he's got no like his everything he got is directed towards towards Spidey, not to towards innocent people. Um, and this worldview kind of really, really disgusts him. Um, and they have a very antagonistic kind of relationship, um, when he, especially when he learns and finds out that he's a serial killer. Yeah. Um, like, Cletus is so fed up with, with Eddie. Like, because Eddie's huge. He's a bodybuilder. And he's mm. always clanging and banging in the, in the prison. He's, I remember seeing the pictures you shared when we did Spider-Man 3. Hedge yeah. Man. And he's always lifting weights, and he's always mm. henching there. And Cletus is this rake-thin, skinny, like, wisp of a person. So he can't really do anything. Um, he he kind of feels like he gets completely pushed around in that cell, um, and he's really fed up with Eddie's kind of disdain towards him. And he's made a shiv, and he's going to murder Eddie Brock. But before he gets a chance to, the black symbiote um, comes in through the uh, the, the old classic... Uh, barred window that hasn't existed in a long time <laughs> and you know transforms eddie into venom and uh has a very destructive jailbreak where he's fighting off the prison guards and smashing through walls trying to get out mm. unbeknownst to eddie the symbiote is pregnant um, the symbiote gives birth to a, a a spawn, as it's called. The symbiotes are an asexual race, um, mm. and they just 
create their their children, their spawn, and leave them behind. Um, so this 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 thing is this red goop is left behind in the midst of the riot that ensued. Um, the newborn spawn, and it bonds with. Cletus Cassidy entering through his bloodstream through a cut on his hand mm. um, and entering his body that way and we later find out it amalgamates with his blood um, and it bonds with Cassidy in a completely new and different way for an alien symbiote to ever do um, which is very different to, to Venom and transforms him into Carnage so Carnage is literally the child of Venom that makes sense Back at their home, Venom has an argument with Brock about wanting to have more freedom to eat criminals. And the symbiote decides to leave Brock's body and go off on its own, leaping from person to person outside Brock's flat and smashing up Eddie's bike before he leaves. Now this this whole scene uh, between Brock and Venom in the flat was entertaining. Obviously if a tad silly, but was, yeah, very funny. And Oh yeah, it was a great scene. Yeah, we need to discuss it a little bit more because it really is played up like a breakup scene. Loads of people talked about this as well. When they, yeah. they, when they talk about this being a rom rom com, they talk about there being kind of kind of gay coded. Um, yeah. I think this is kind of one of the a real a big kind of fun scene, and it's got a lot of that in it, hasn't it? Yeah, it has a lot of that. Uh, it starts off uh, the two arguing about their differences and what sh- uh, each one brings to the relationship. And what each yeah, one like, takes away. Like, what do you do for this relationship and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. What do you do? And I, I, you did this because of you ah, and all this. Yeah, and yeah, Venom, yeah. Venom says to Eddie, Do you know how lucky you are that I chose you? <laughs> I was like, Ooh, hello. That's, that sounds. Yeah, it's, it's an abusive relationship, definitely. That's what yeah, they're going for. They're all they're going for all the classic tropes, all the little red flags. Venom headbutts Eddie and immediately apologizes. You know, it's like, oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, sorry. Yeah, mean, I'm yeah. sorry, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like, ooh, hello, I know that trope. Uh, get out and take your stuff, even though it's Eddie's flat, says Venom. Oh. Uh, I guess this is goodbye. I wish I never met you. And then destroying the vehicle out of spite. It was all a breakup uh, thing, wasn't it? Absolutely. Classic move, destroying the vehicle on the way out the door, just like slashing the tyres or whatever. Yeah. Hey, guys, look. This podcast only exists because of Patreon um, and the amazing support that we get from our subscribers and our supporters on that. Yeah. It's the people who support us on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel that let us keep making these shows. Um, you guys, you tune in every week. You download every single show we make. But you're still not doing the right thing. You're still not admitting that you are an MVM fan. And as a fan, you've got to support us. If you want three and a half hours on Thor Ragnarok. If you want two hours on Planet Hulk, three and a half hours on Jessica Jones, however long this epic is going to be today, then you've got to be part of that community and support us. Because we're not some big faceless company that can get by without your support. Like, you want to steal from Amazon? You want to steal from Spotify? You want to steal from Apple? Go ahead. We'll hand you the crowbar and we'll keep the engine running. <laughs> like, but this is just me and Will. It, this podcast requires days and days of work, putting everything together, the research, the writing, the recording, the Will producing and editing everything. And we only exist because of people that reach out and support us. For just the price of a cup of coffee, you can help us on our way. That's all it would take. A cup of coffee for a whole month's worth of content It's not a huge amount, um, and it will keep me and Will going. It will keep this podcast on the air. 
And if you support us over on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, there are loads of different bonus content that you can get as a reward. Loads of amazing um, tiers that you can choose from. The bargain basement tier, the very first entry tier, supports the show and also gets you access to um, mini episodes, obscure Marvel that we drop each and every month where me and Will go uh, diving into the trash cans of the Marvel Universe to explore the most ridiculous uh, and the funniest characters and stories that we can find. You step up, you can get at that uh, full-length bonus episode tier, the VIEP tier, where you'll get access to all our full-length bonus episodes. This month, we're digging into the biggest Spider-Man story of the 90s, arguably. Um, It is the massive epic story, Spider-Man, Venom, Carnage, Maximum Carnage. Like, it is a touch point for this movie. Um, It is a touchstone for a whole generation. It spawned an incredible video game series, um, and uh, it really brought a huge amount of attention to Carnage, who is perhaps the most popular Marvel villain of the 90s. We dive into Maximum Carnage, it's full of Marvel superheroes, full of Marvel supervillains. It poses a very, very, very fundamental question of will Spider-Man... Is Spider-Man ever justified in taking the life of a villain, of a bad guy that is doing so many awful things? If you get in with us on that £10 tier, that VIEP tier, you'll get access to 30 full-length bonus episodes. It's impossible for you to enjoy that in a full month. 30 full-length bonus episodes, including Maximum Carnage. You'll also get early access to every show. You'll also get access to 27 mini-shows as well. That's how you can support us on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. You've got to do the right thing and keep us going. Another big shout-out that we're doing, another live show. Will, Mm. we're so psyched for this, right? Very, very excited. Our live show this year is taking place on the 25th of March. It will be taking place at the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton. Um, A show so good we won the prestigious Leicester Comedy Festival Award last year. Um, And we're doing it all over again. We're diving into a what-if episode to explore the Marvel multiverse, Captain America, Captain Britain, Agent Carter. We're going to do it live the Arena Theatre, Wolverhampton, the 25th of March. Tickets are on sale now. Link to the tickets in the notes of this episode. Um, you can also visit our pinned tweet on Twitter. That's got the link, at Marvel Versus. The pinned tweet has got the link. Um, the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton, an awesome venue. We're really excited to be working with them. Because they're so great, because they're, they're really happy to work with us, we've worked with them to make sure that we're bringing you this show at rock bottom prices. Just five quid to come and see the show. Five five pounds for a ticket. Uh, because we know, guys, you're going to be coming from all across the country to come and yeah. see us. You're going to be spending your hard-earned money on the travel so we want to make sure we do what we can to get get you guys in the building as easily and quickly and cheaply as possible um so that's what we're able to do and also this is a a great set of people at the arena theater and unlike our show at leicester last year where we didn't really have much time to to kind of spend with people this venue very very different setup we're going to be able to spend time with everyone say hi answer questions meet you greet you take photos whatever you want to do um so we'll be able to like hang out after the show and it's going to be really really cool we're looking forward to seeing as many people there as possible we know we've already had some tickets sold moved from this one so the 25th of March, the Arena Theatre in Wolverhampton. The link is in the notes of this episode. Or check the pinned tweet for us on 
Twitter at Marvel Versus. We really hope you can make it to the live show. Back to the film. Meanwhile, at San Quentin, Cassidy's execution begins. However, as the lethal injection reaches Cassidy's body, the symbiote within him starts to take over. As red tendrils grow out of Cassidy's convulsing body, they shoot out of the execution chamber, destroying it, sending the small audience and staff running, before out from the smoky darkness emerges Carnage. Tearing his way through the prison, Carnage rips open prison cells and kills every single guard that stands in his way, before escaping San Quentin, turning back into Cassidy. So Carnage's entrance is pretty good, a bit shoddy on the CGI front, but still the right kind of horrific entrance a villain like this needs. I didn't know it's any dodgy CGI in this, really. I don't, I don't, I don't know, man. I remember it being a bit, you know, compared to, say, you know, main MCU stuff. You know, it wasn't awful, but it was like it was noticeably a downgrade yeah. for me. Again, I don't have the eye for it. I really don't. That's fair. I, so, I someone someone tweeted. We put share this on Twitter, didn't we? It's one of those old uh, James Bond movies with the like the the. They're driving in a car, and they've got like a a video of the background playing yeah. playing in in the in the windows at the back of the car. And someone tweeted it saying, "This is as good as special effects need to be," and I fully believe that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Uh, is this what Carnage is like in the comic books? Is this how he makes his entrance? Is this uh, is this this is this how mentally <clears throat> is? Oh. <clears throat> this movie does a real disservice to the um, design of Carnage. If you just mm. check out some of the pictures I've kind of um, sent your way um, on on what Carnage is, like it, a huge part of Carnage's popularity in the '90s is mm. his character design. The look of the character yeah. is so unique, it's so interesting. It leapt off the page in the '90s. In this movie, he's just Red Venom. Yeah. He's the same size. They're just big, big monsters with tentacles, like big, thick tentacle things. He looks um, like he's very sinewy, doesn't he? Like, uh, in, in, like, in what you're looking at. Yeah, what I'm looking in, at. In, sorry, yeah. in what I'm looking at for the comics, sorry. Yeah. yeah very sinewy. Yeah, no, comic, comic book Ven- So, comic book Venom doesn't really have tendrils or tentacles. He's a big bodybuilder version of Spider-Man with fangs. Mm. Um, Carnage, in the comics, is small and light. He's much more Spider-Man's body type. Yeah. And that's kind of the point, is to have him be comparable to Spider-Man. Um, he's drawn to always have these kind of wispy bits of the red symbiote moving in the air around him which venom does not and these are meant to look like blood flowing all around him yeah like the, he's got this deep red and black he's got this big jagged black maw of a mouth like that mouth is horrible um and it's not defined fangs and teeth like venom has um it's again there's an element of cosmic horror to it because it's so out of the ordinary um yeah, is there anything else you notice from those from those pictures? Anything that, that kind of stands out to you before I move on? Uh, no, ma- mainly just the sinewy look of it. I mean, you've got the big white eyes again, just like Venom. Yeah. The way the wispiness sort of flows off, like almost like he's in flux. And that compa- and com- the the body the body type compared to Venom is just it's night and day, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they also absolutely kill his personality in this movie, like the carnage creature. Is just a monster that roars and shouts. Yeah, and and is roughly the same as Venom in this movie. Yeah, in the comics, Carnage is essentially the Marvel version of the Joker, or 
at least the Marvel version of the 90s Joker. Mm. Um, he's a cackling madman serial killer who's always laughing and making jokes about how he's going to kill you or how he's just murdered your whole family. And why aren't you excited about this? Why aren't you laughing? Why aren't you having a good time? Mm. Why don't you understand that it's really awesome to murder people and do whatever you want? Like, um, I think the first person we see him kill is called Chip. And he's like, Chip, Chippy, 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 Chip, 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 Chip. Like, that is that taunting is a massive part of Carnage, that like mocking, taunting, um, all about death and murder. And we don't get any of that in this movie. He don't even really get it from Cletus much, but certainly not the. The, the the finished carnage thing it's a bit of a shame really because i think it would have been stronger to have a different look and a different personality to yeah. to bounce off venom yeah absolutely at brock's flat eddie's quiet times interrupted by a visit from detective mulligan who informs brock about cassidy's escape with the detective voicing suspicion about what was said between the reporter and the serial killer the detective advises Eddie to lay low as Cassidy could be on his way to kill Eddie. Listening back to the last recording between himself and Cassidy, Brock tries to deduce where Cassidy might be heading next. Meanwhile, Venom is hopping from body to body, but enjoying his newfound freedom. Venom crashes a rave where he fully reveals himself and is embraced by revelers who think he's wearing an awesome costume. Venom says that Eddie was a fool for keeping him hidden, that he is now being accepted for who he truly is, and that he is out of the Eddie closet. As a big nod in this kind of, it's yeah. gay-coded. Very, very big nod. After winning over the entire rave, he laments that Eddie wasn't there to see how good he was. Elsewhere, Cassidy finishes putting on his clothes of his, on his, of his first fresh kill since leaving prison before stealing a red convert, uh, convertible that catches his eye in order to find something that he's lost. It was around this point of the film that I realised uh, I was enjoying it, a lot more than I thought I would, uh, to be honest. I mean, it's not an MCU film. Uh, it's all for a bit of uh, CGI, uh, silly bit of CGI fun, but, man, it's a solid 6 out of 10. 6, 7 out of 10 for me. Yeah, I don't think I felt that just yet. I think it was the big action scenes we're about to see. I really uh, liked those. Yeah. I... I was in it more for the for the laughs with this one, I think. But yeah, you, you, that's I, 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 I enjoyed I enjoyed that stuff, and I enjoyed seeing a lot of people that I recognised because it's yeah. packed with them. As, but um, yeah, I, I I was I, I felt I I felt it was missing something, and what it was missing was these big action scenes we're about to see. And when they came in, I thought, oh, I really I'm quite enjoying this. Yeah, mm, absolutely. Breaking into Saint Estes's reform school. Brock calls Detective Mulligan about a heart carved into a tree on the school's grounds with the initials CK plus FB inside. Without hesitation, the detective recognises the FB as Francis... As France... Oh, I haven't written the, haven't written the surname down. Burton or something? Yes. As, something yes, like as, Fran, as Francis. And uh, remembers the day he shot, he, he shot her... Sorry, remember the day he thought he killed her as well as get, getting a hearing aid as a result of Francis' scream. At a gas station, Cassidy uses the symbiote to hack into the internet and find out the location of Francis, the Ravencroft Institute. So there's an interesting scene here where Cassidy uses the symbiote to hack a oh, computer God. by saying, can you do internet? He says that in that southern... Tr- can you... Or is it or, or is it like, a, you got internet? Something like that to himself. It's can just- you do it with that kind of thing where his jaws come yeah. out? The front and then his fingers go into the... Goes- 
His can tendrils you, go into the computer and... Can you do internet? It's a crazy thing. So it's all I want to know. In the comic books, can Carnage hack into computers using his fingers because that is the most 90s thing I've ever heard of in my life. Weirdly, this is 100% comic book accurate. Fantastic. Um, I in knew it. 1995, writer Larry Hammer wrote a meta-influenced story called Carnage Unleashed which was in part inspired by the massive popularity of the Maximum Carnage video game. Um, Marvel wanted to try and uh, cash in some more on it. So, in this story, a video game company called Extreme Violence Video Games (laughs) has created a video game based on Carnage, who is a serial killer. (laughs) Um, Mm. They got the rights to do this from, like... The Raven, from whatever mental facility is holding Cletus Cassidy and looking after him, they've sold the light, the, the rights to this guy's name and identity and life story to the video game company. Again, a mental health company selling the rights to their patients to extreme yeah. violence video games. Um, and they call the game uh, Carnage Unleashed. And when Carnage finds out about this, he's over the moon with the whole thing because, like, like his whole thing is that murder is extreme and awesome and cool. And this video game kind of proves he's right. His worldview <laughs> is correct. They made a game out of me where you play as me murdering things or, I don't know, maybe you play someone trying to stop him. Um, he, he has earned himself computer privileges in prison. Mm. A, a serial killer serving 11 life sentences um, and he uses the symbiote to hack into the computer um, and kind of take it over and do what he wants and to begin yeah. with he, he's playing against it's an online video game played over his mm. server in 1995 for 1995 advanced. it is yeah mm. um, and he plays against somebody and doesn't like how the game is going so he sends microscopic tendrils of the symbiote oh. Through the the landline broadband, yeah. and they come out of the computer and attack the person he's playing and murder him. Um, so Carnage is able to use the wide internet connection to send his symbiote all over the place, out of the the prison or the mental facility, and murder yeah. people in different locations. And he play he murders people who are playing the game online, um, um, which is kind of fun. Venom finds out about <laughs> finds out about the game, and he's like. I I am very upset about this. Um, mm. Carnage escapes prison. They have a bit of a fight. Can you guess what the climax of the story is? Kind of like where the story is going to go. So, ninety story video games, the internet. Does he get trapped in the internet? Yes, they have. Their climactic yes, fight takes place course. in cyberspace. And they're, um, they're flying through, and then things are whizzing past them, aren't they? Like they, a they, grid in the background. They both use their yeah. symbiotes to take over the computers and the servers, go in, send their consciousnesses into the video game itself, and fight in this video game. Um, we also find out in this story that Venom can send his symbiote through telephone wires as well. As in the climax of the story, I forget what's happened, but Cassidy is without his his symbiote. He's a normal person. He's falling to his death, and Venom sends his symbiote down the telephone wire to save Cassidy's life (laughs) so he can stand trial. Venom saves Carnage's life so he can go to prison. 
insanely out of character uh, as they as they you know they're trying to push Venom towards a true blue hero in the mid nineties. What a wild time the nineties was! What a wild <laughs> I know, time! I know. Back to the film. Breaking into Francis's cell, Cassidy kills Dr. Camille Pazzo and introduces his love to Carnage before breaking her cell and escaping the Institute. Outside, the two circle the police in the red convertible before Cassidy turns into Carnage and destroys every single police car. A helicopter opens fire on Carnage, uh, open, opens fire on Carnage, but Francis unleashes a powerful scream that causes the helicopter to crash. However, Carnage is sensitive to sound and threatens to kill Francis if she screams again. On their way out, Cassidy takes out a second helicopter before they escape to finally get married. So, obviously, as it's discussed uh, with the production notes, very uh, slight Natural Born Killers vibe to this relationship. Uh, I mean, it's go- it could be just because of Woody Harrelson, though, but it really I, does feel about that. It, maybe, yeah, it, it felt kind of kind of uh, Bonnie and Clyde-y to me, which, obviously, Natural Born Killers kind of goes in that direction, doesn't it? Yeah, I've never watched Bonnie, Bonnie and Clyde. Just the, st- the story is really quite fascinating. Oh, yeah. they're just full on driving around, getting into mad gunfights with the cops as they burst out <laughs> of places. It's wild, like like this, like this would be Bonnie and Clyde if they had superpowers. Hundred percent. Okay, okay, that's cool. I really liked these scenes. Like, yeah, I thought there was there was inventive, fun stuff in the prison. I I loved Carnage, essentially hugging the prison cell so hard that it breaks. Um, Francis's cell and then like it pushes yeah. her through the broken glass and into a kiss that looked really cool yeah that was good and the that escape scene where they're driving it's like a car chase scene but the symbiote is also kind of like smashing things smashing cars mm. I, I, I really like that all that chaos I thought it was very cool and not something that we've ever seen before in, 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 these, in these superhero movies which is getting harder and harder um, yeah, I thought I thought this was a bit where I go. Oh, I'm really enjoying this movie. Not really enjoying this, but I am enjoying this movie. It's it's working. Hmm. It's, it's 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 work. Yeah, I mean, as I said before, I was more I'm more won over by the funny bits. But yeah, this this bit was I was like. But yeah, this is what I, I was won over. I like the funny bits as well. But hmm. it was missing action, and then we really got it. Like really got just it. seeing Venom occasionally, like I don't know, grab a bad guy or something. It's not really doing much for me. <laughs> Having real action was great. I liked it. Yeah, absolutely. Back to the film. At Mrs. Chen's shop, a drunken man wanders in and demands chocolate in a deep voice. Realising it's Venom, Mrs. Chen asks where Eddie is before comforting the creature. At the ruins of the Ravencroft Institute, a squad headed by Mulligan discovers that Francis has escaped and orders his men to bring in Brock for questioning. In the interrogation room, Mulligan questions how Eddie seems to always be around incidents where monsters like Venom and Carnage appear. But Brock questions a law- requests a lawyer before he answers any further questions, specifically Anne Weying. Talking to his ex, Brock tells Anne that Venom is separated from him and they need to find the symbiote. Um, before we carry on, I, I, maybe I didn't put this in here, uh, and I should have done. I think this is a good time for us to talk about Francis um, and, uh, and and what's going on with her because yeah, like, like we, I think we get quite we we get quite a lot at the end of the movie. We might not get to it then because there's an awful lot going on with Venom and Carnage. Um, uh, Francis is a comic book character. Um, she is a 
she and she is strongly connected to um, to Carnage, as you saw when you were playing the video game Maximum Carnage. She turns up in yes. that, yeah. so she's she's really insane. Uh, like another abused as a child and all that kind of stuff. Had lived a hard life as a drug dealer in the comic books um, and saw a lot of saw a lot of stuff go down. And she yeah. was shot in the head by a cop as well. Um, so yeah, that's mimicked here too. Yeah, yeah, and that seemed to really unbalance her a lot. She is a mutant in the Marvel comics. Yeah. Um, she can she's got two powers i'll save one for the end of this bit so mm. she can generate sonic sonic waves when she screams and she can kind of blast people she can also fly with it as well yeah um, so kind of like banshee from x-men yes yeah same mm. same deal so during carnage has this like um violent escape from the ravencroft institute and he comes across this character called shriek like I, I couldn't have told you her real name really. Um, Shriek is is what she is what she's called. She's got pale, like white pale, abnormally white pale skin, um, and she has a a um, her her d- damaged eye glows, mm. um, shines shines yellow, almost like cable, and she has a very kind of goth chick, rock, goth rock <laughs> chick look, um, yeah. and. Uh, they immediately like fall into this Bonnie and Clyde relationship and embark on this Bonnie and Clyde kill spree um, across across New York. And during their kill spree, mm. they encounter a number of other twisted killers. And Shriek has this insane compulsion to become their mother. Like she babies them, and they're mental as well. And they 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 essentially form this sick super-powered 90s Manson family as they kill their way across New York. Mm. Um, This is the Maximum Carnage story. It's that huge crossover um, because they just keep... No one can stop them. They are so powerful. Nobody can stop them. Um, Because one of Shriek's other powers that we don't see in this movie is, is called Dark Empathy. She can inspire people to their worst most insane compulsions and thoughts she can basically inspire madness in you mm. and as they go throughout new york um shriek uses his power to make the citizens of new york go mad <laughs> so in that maximum carnage game you're playing when everyone yeah. a fight attacking you is just a regular person that's because oh, they weren't street thugs well they are now because shriek incarnate they've inspired these whole country to go on doing awful awful things vandalism muggings beatings attacking each other um mm. that's a major part of it the the heroes have got to work out how can we help without hurting innocent people so yeah she's a major Ooh. part of that big crossover that we're looking at in patreon this month wow looking forward to that at mrs chen shop Anne and her fan fiance dan Anne and dan <laughs> You like that for some reason. I like that. Anne and Dan. Anne yeah. and Dan. Anne and Dan. Uh, question, <laughs> Mrs. Chen. Why? Why, Will? Because <laughs> it's pleasing. Okay. It has a rhythm and a rhyme. Yeah. It's pleasing to say. Uh, question, Mrs. Chen, as to where Venom could be, as this was where the symbiote kill like, like to get food from. As Mrs. Chen gets more and more aggressive, Anne realises that Venom has bonded with the shop owner. Anne flirts with Venom and flatters him, saying she just loves seeing him in action because he's the hottest and the coolest. Despite being an I love obvious this bit. 
Yeah, this was good. so good. Despite being an obvious ploy, this tactic immediately works on Venom's vanity and he springs into action. So good. Venom then bonds with Anne's bonds with Anne and breaks Brock out of the police station before bonding back with Eddie. Catching up with Cassidy, Mulligan opens fire on the killer, but Carnage emerges and takes the detective prisoner. At Brock's flat, Francis knocks out Anne before leaving Dan in a car trunk with a note for Brock. Cassidy and Francis are taking Mulligan and Anne to their wedding. It's uh, great to see Naomi Harris in this, uh, even though she really is just playing a cackling villain. I don't think she gets much to work with. What 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 would I know her from? What? Okay, now I have to now I have to get the list. Uh, you don't I have to. She... Sorry, sorry, sorry. I just I I it's mean, great to see her. I, I thought oh I don't think I recognise her or I've seen her in something. Well, she's been in um, a fair bit. Uh, she was uh, the new the new money penny in the James Bond film. Oh, there we go. That's there we... that's why I recognise her. Yeah, brilliant. She was in Twenty Eight Days Later. Very good in that film. And she's been a whole load of other things as well, including Moonlight, uh, which is probably more famous than the other stuff I, I've, I've read out. But yes, uh, very, very good to see her. I've, uh, I always enjoy when she pops up in things. But it does feel like she's in a quite a limited role. I always felt. She oh yeah, the, the Shriek doesn't get to do anything in this movie. It's a bit, yeah, it's a bit real, lame. Real shame. Uh, this is the second time we've seen Venom bond with Anne on the big screen. Does anything like this happen in the comics? Yes, it does. Um, uh, and so yeah Anne is Brock's ex and it's all very muddled she gets shot by a serial killer called the Sin Eater um, it's actually the second Sin Eater the first Sin Eater is all tied into Brock's kind of origin story where Brock essentially frames someone um, as being the Sin Eater and uh, in, in one of his expose newspaper stories and it all goes very wrong for him that's how he loses his career and yeah. stuff like that. So new a new Sin Eater is on the is on the uh, on the case in uh, in Marvel have Comics. We, have we covered the Sin Eater before? We've we've only mentioned it in relation to Venom in the first Venom movie, I think. Okay, no problem. Um so so um Anne gets shot by the, the I think it's the second Sin Eater. Brock forces his his symbiote, who doesn't want to do this, to go and bond with Anne and heal her injuries. Um, in the process, she temporarily becomes the new Venom, she Venom, as it's referred mm. to. Um, but Anne is completely unable to control herself as she Venom, and she kind of finds herself murdering a pair of muggers, and Ooh. that leaves her completely traumatized by the experience. Um, Brock takes the symbiote back, but the police uh, are now onto her. Like they know that these there's video footage of a, of a new of a female Venom that definitely killed these people. Brock's identity as Venom is public knowledge because he's been arrested lots of times and Spider-Man tells, tells everybody. So they just interview her because it's the most... Do you know what I mean? It's the most obvious. Mm. Maybe his wife is the new Venom then. So they arrest her and she cracks immediately. And it just... There's like no no way out of it. Um, and so Anne uses her one phone call to ring Eddie for help and he does the one thing she really does not want him to do which is he sends the symbiote down the phone lines and it comes <laughs> like dripping out of the phone in the police station mm. and against Anne's will transforms her into she-venom again so she can smash through the wall and break out of prison but it's a really really terrible experience for Anne um, and it traumatises her she, she wants to never see Eddie again she moves away and all of that um, and then like Eddie, I think, comes to find her. She basically sees Eddie transform into Venom 
again after all this horrible mm. stuff happened to her as Venom and it's so traumatising for her she kills herself but in classic eddie brock fashion he finds a way to blame spider-man for her death not himself um wow so that renews the 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 feud the vendetta between eddie and 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 spidey that sounds more like a jay jonason move (laughs) yeah very similar yeah very similar wow back to the film at the church Cassidy and Francis's wedding ceremony commences with Mulligan and Anne held hostage. As the priest reads the vows, Venom bursts through the front door. But as soon as Cassidy transforms into Carnage, Venom backs down, saying that a red symbiote is much worse than expected and that they should leave immediately. That was funny. That, I, I was just about to say. Enjoyed that, that a lot. That, what, what did he say? He's like, no, oh, you've got to go now. No. Yeah, yeah. We should <laughs> leave. We should leave. That was just brilliant. Brock manages to talk Venom into transforming again, and the two symbiotes fight, with Francis screaming at Venom, inadvertently angering Carnage, who attacks her. The two symbiotes fight at the altar, while Francis crawls over to Mulligan to kill the detective. Carnage stops Francis in her tracks, telling her that she can kill the detective as long as she doesn't use her screaming power again. As the two bicker, Mulligan escapes onto a construction elevator at the side of the altar and ascends. Okay. I did get a bit excited in this scene because the priest is played by Rishi Smith. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. <laughs> oh, I hadn't thought about that. We <laughs> love Reese. Reese, uh, he's a uh, many comic actor, for, uh, famous from uh, the League of Gentlemen, which is a fantastic show, and all the other things, and uh, works together with one of the other League of Gentlemen actors, uh, Mark Gat, not Mark Gattis, uh, Steve Pemberton. Steve Pemberton. They have produced the, and I've said this with so many people, probably the best BBC television show of the last twenty years. Sorry, last ten years. Uh, Inside Number Nine. Uh, it, it's it's a mix. It's a, a it's almost like the Twilight Zone. Little uh, episodic, uh, unrelated episodic things. They they go from horror to comedy to tragedy. It's so good. It's such a great show. And he's uh, behind that. He's a lovely, lovely fella. Got a lot of time for him. And it's great to see him edging into Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, cool. Uh, speaking <clears throat> of which, this is a heavily British movie, isn't it? It's a bit of trivia here. It's a heavily British movie. We got. As well as Reece Shearsmith playing a bit part as an American priest. We've got Tom Hardy, Stephen Graham, Naomi Harris in major roles. The movie's directed by Andy Serkis. Written by Kelly Marcel, who became friends with Tom Hardy when they both worked on the British movie, Bronson. As we said, Reece Shearsmith plays the priest. Young Cassidy is played by Jack Bandera from Sex Education and Happy Valley. The Ravencroft Doctor is played by Sean Webber from EastEnders. The Ravencroft Screaming Patient is played by poet, rapper, podcaster, Scroobius Pip. The rapper at the rave is rap, uh, rapper Little Sims, who recorded music for the soundtrack. Uh, and about half the movie was shot in England. All the stuff that isn't San Francisco. Yeah, it seems like wow. Tom Hardy had a huge uh, influence on this, doesn't it? It's it's almost like the British film industry is incredibly helpful for Hollywood movies, like yeah. it has been for the last <clears throat> hundred years, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, the Batman. I mean, it was all filmed, uh, all filmed in Britain, wasn't it? Glasgow's filmed uh, in Glasgow. Because I, funnily enough, I had a dream last night where I was watching the Batman, and it looked. Oh more my obvious. God, Will! Oh my God. <laughs> It was weird. It, 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 my dream I was know you're a Batman enough. fan, but jeez. No, no, no. But it wasn't. But it was the Batman. But everything obviously looked like it was Glasgow. Like it was way more obvious that it was Glasgow for some reason in my dream in a really funny way. I, I love the way. Um, I love all the all the all the kind of photography and the, the, the kind of the the way the 
the physical streets and buildings and stuff were, were done in that movie. It was really good. Yeah, it was perfect uh, in that regards. Uh, there's a scene here, uh, enough about uh, gushing over the uh, British film industry. There's a scene here where Venom doesn't want to fight Carnage because he's meant to be powerful. Uh, I imagine that's from the comic books, isn't it? Because Carnage is meant to be stronger than Venom. That would cause <coughs> some kind of fight or flight response, right? So what's the question? Is Carnage more... It, 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 is, it Basically, is Carnage more powerful than Venom? Is Venom scared of fighting Carnage? He's not scared of fighting him, no. Okay. But the like the very first time Carnage appears, or like the second time, he's attacked by both Spider-Man and Venom at the same time and oh, well. is just easily stronger than both of them, throws them both off him. And mm. Spider-Man is aghast that this crazy new killer that he's having to deal with is somehow stronger than both him and Venom put together. Um, and that's massively disconcerting for him because he already knows Venom is stronger than him. Like, And that's the intent of, mm. of Carnage. Um, main villains... Yeah, in general, main villains should always be stronger and more powerful than the hero. That's how you create jeopardy. That's how you create tension and drama in your story, isn't it? Yeah. If your if your brilliant hero that everyone likes is going up against someone he can defeat, and the the and you know he can defeat them, there's not a lot of jeopardy going on there. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why Venom is so much 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 stronger than Spider Man, because he's the villain in that scenario. But then when Marvel want to make Venom into something more like a hero, they needed a villain for, for him to face. And that villain would have to be stronger than the guy who's much stronger mm. than, than Spider-Man. Um, so, yes, Carnage is easily stronger than Venom and Spider-Man combined. And every time he is used, certainly in the beginning anyway, it takes a, a hell of a lot of gimmicks and tricks and, and help mm. and outside stuff to try and stop him. Absolutely. Back to the film. Turning his attention back to Venom, Carnage kills the priest to boost his strength and unleashes more vicious attacks on the symbiote. Meanwhile, Mulligan reaches the church roof and radios for help, but is attacked by Francis. As the fire in the church rages on, Dan appears and pours petrol on Carnage, but this only sends... The I thought that was up. cool. Like I, yeah, hadn't, yeah, I no. hadn't expected Dan to get involved, and he got involved in a logical way that worked and helped and was well, easy and simple to do. I remember Dan in the last film was actually quite supportive. He's actually quite a nice guy. Yeah, we said it. 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 it we. You we were expecting the oh, the new guy, the new boyfriend, but we didn't. You know, the the you've got when your protagonist is the ex husband. Yeah, you expect the new guy to be awful. Um, yeah. but we kind of got that inverted. Um, and I like that. And we we I think we compared it to Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm. Um, where you keep <laughs> expecting Pierce Brosnan's character to be awful and you go, no, he's not. He's really good. It's just he's just he's the new person. And also, I think I might have mentioned the um the Santa Claus as well. I never um, saw that. In the in that in that Tim Allen movie, Tim Allen mm. is divorced and you expect the new guy and he doesn't like the new guy, but the new guy's just a decent person. He's nothing like he's not mean, he's not he's not a he's not a douche, he's just you know, well, you remember uh, it's, it Judd, it's Judge um, Reinhold. Anyway, 
Oh, he's he's a lovely. Fellow, do you know what his? Do you know? <laughs> this always tickles me. Um, the uh, <laughs> oh, here we go. In Arrested Development, he plays a character who's got his own uh, lawyer, based, like Judge, Judge Judy based Judge TV Rattles. show. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's called. It's not. They changed the name so it becomes like the legal show with Judge Reinhold. Instead, like the the name is right there. It's a layup. His name is Judge Reinhold. He was like, no, I think it should be called the Legal Show with Jay Reinhold. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, God, I love that show so much. We won't go on about it. Anyway, where was I? Uh, Dan. Dan. Our friend Dan. Dan. We love Dan. Then, we got, then you got distracted by how lovely Dan how, is. How much we love Dan. <laughs> Dan's a fantastic man. Sorry, not going like, to He earns Venom's respect in this movie as well. Yeah, I love And Venom like, shakes hand with him and said, I've always liked him. <laughs> <laughs> Venom saves Dan by ringing the church bell, but this reverts Venom back to Brock as well as Cassidy. The two continue fighting, unable to turn back into their symbiotes when the church bell strikes, with Cassidy eventually tearing the clangor out of the bell. After being... <laughs> you know what I... <laughs> Sorry. Hello. Absolutely tore the clangor out of him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I was last night. I tore the clangor out of it. Oh, I tell you. Clangor out of him. Oh. <laughs> What what great phrases this podcast is inventing <laughs> this year already. After being smashed into some pews, Cassidy attacks Eddie with a mallet. Back on the roof, Francis hangs Mulligan from a chain. So Carnage uh, has all kinds of powers here. Like, what abilities does he have in the comics? Okay, yeah. So in the comic books, Venom's powers are essentially evil Spider-Man powers. <laughs> So he's got all the Spidey's powers. Like he, he can stick to walls, climb up them. It's like in this building, in this movie, he doesn't. He can't stick to walls. He jumps and like grabs cement and crushes it in his hand to hang to cling on, doesn't he? Mm, yeah, it's kind of like that. When he yeah. jumps from building to building, he's like wrecking the buildings as he goes. He can't stick to anything. Mm. Whereas in the comic books, he has spider powers. He's got web lines, as, and he's you know really strong. He has his own spider sense, his own version of spider sense, kind of, um, which is based on basically the symbiote has senses in every square inch of its body, right? Mm. So imagine if you had eyes, ears, tongue, and nose, and you had those receptors all over your body like you're, you're, uh, you're able to take that around walking around london would be awful yeah but you know what's coming at all times yeah <laughs> yeah yes i guess it would yeah um and uh he doesn't set off peter parker's spider sense as well he's he, yeah. he's he's hidden from that and the symbiote can shapeshift into any kind of clothing or appearance at will mm. um in fact in the early appearances Venom is sometimes able to go as kind of like invisible. He's able to camouflage himself against the mm. background, um, which he used to sneak up on on Spider Man completely. And he does use, like we said, with the lethal protector bit. He he can use small tendrils of the symbiote to like grab someone and choke them. But he doesn't have these like in this movie and the movies. He has these massive tentacles. It, there's none of that. Carnage then has all of Venom's abilities. Yeah. So essentially, he has all of Spider-Man's abilities: stick to walls, like web, tendril web lines, things like that. But Venom actively kind of says in, in when he first learns about 
carnage that gestating a new symbiote in Earth's atmosphere is very alien to that species. And mm. so it's led to some strange mutations with the carnage symbiote, which is why it's so different from the venom symbiote. Carnage is like the T-1000 to Venom's T-800. And mm. that's not a coincidence. Okay. Because Carnage's power set is to essentially operate like the liquid metal Terminator in the Judgment Day movie. Right, right, right. So Venom doesn't do anything really with his symbiote. He's just very strong and he has can web you up. Carnage can like control the symbiote and it flows and he can form hammers and he can form hard and sharp weapons like hammers claws knives spikes swords like the t-1000 does in 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 judgment day yeah which venom can't do um venom can't ever make his symbiote hard or sharp so um it's sharp enough to rip through like metal and spider-man's webbing and stuff and he can also fire these sharp tendrils off like mm. shrapnel and kill people from a distance, like rain red, like knives down on them. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's um, he has all of Venom's powers plus that. Yeah, that's intense. As Brock lies broken and beaten, Carnage takes revenge by making Brock watch him kill Anne before taking her out of the of her bonds and escaping through the church roof, trapping Brock under a mound of rubble. Dan yells at Venom to do something, but the symbiote is convinced he cannot win. At the roof, Carnage, against Cassidy's protests, tries to kill Francis. Cassidy retaliates and tries to tear himself free from the symbiote. Okay, I'm going to interrupt here to talk about a, a, a problem I had at this stage in the movie. Here we go. They keep moving towards to do these moments of quite like intense violence, mm. but then they don't show them. Yeah. So yeah. when the Mulligan, the detective Mulligan, gets hung from the neck or whatever, yeah. you don't see it. It happens like slightly off camera, mm. and so you don't know is he dead? I don't know. Where a good a good example of of this that doesn't affect the plot is when um, uh, Cassidy gets a mallet and starts essentially shattering Eddie's legs. Ooh. You don't see it; it cuts away, right? Yeah. So, okay, that that's a good. That's, it's like they want to do it intense, dark violence, but they know they can't. But it's so a they, fifteen. They, they kind of get what. Cool. Don't get why they're not showing. It's a fifteen. Well, you can't. Sh- I don't know how much violence you can show, but probably not that much. Yeah. Pro- probably you probably in a fifteen can't show a man snapping everyone's bones. Anyway, Ooh. so that that's a fine thing to do if it doesn't affect the plot. I didn't. I wrote this. I paused the movie and wrote this down. I don't know if Shriek. Francis is meant to be dead at this stage or not and Mm. that's a problem for the story right because if they're telling me if the story is telling me in that intense bit of action that the carnage symbiote killed Francis that's a massive moment in the movie that means the symbiote has like crossed the Rubicon and there are real problems going on here yeah. And that I know there's the real issue. If it just if all I meant to have taken from that is that he's knocked her out, then it's very different. The scene is you're telling me a different story, and yeah. and and I can't tell because they didn't show the violence because they're trying to avoid a whatever rating or whatever. But I had to pause and write that down because I was like, I'm really frustrated now. I don't know. Mm. Are they telling me she's dead, like I think the detective is dead, or are they telling me? 
that she's been knocked out. And maybe the detective was knocked out. I don't know. Like, it was a bit... They they mm. needed to have a clearer way of pitching that. But that being, I really enjoyed the fight scene. But I really enjoyed the fight between Venom and Carnage. I thought it was done really well. It was fun. It was exciting. There was a bunch of different stuff I hadn't seen it before. Just those little bits which were you know trying to balance, aren't they? Violence and a rating and stuff. It was tricky. Oh, I get it. I get it. Seeing this, Eddie says that while Cassidy and Carnage are not a match for each other, Eddie and Venom are strongly bonded. Climbing the church spire, Venom stabs Carnage through the eye with an iron pole to release Anne, but Carnage slams them both through the clock tower. As the spire collapses, Venom grabs onto Anne's hand and slowly lowers her to safety, but the whole time Venom is saving Anne, Carnage is continuously stabbing Venom in the back. That was a good Realize- bit. That was a really yeah. good bit. Realising that he needs to use sound to defeat Carnage, Venom slams Francis into the church bell, causing her to scream in pain as she falls to the ground before being crushed to death by the bell. What did you think of that? I, I think that was meant to be a bit of comedy in there. I what, think, being crushed by the bell? No, I think when he grabs Fran, it was like, I figured it out, I need to use sonic powers against him. And mm. we've just seen Carnage try to kill Francis... It felt like to me like it was keying the scene up for Venom to grab um, Francis and for her to finally turn on Carnage and use the sonic powers to save oh, her lover. Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. In I the end, you. what the big idiot, dumb alien monster did is just freaking throw her at a giant bell instead of using her mutant powers. I thought yeah. there was meant to be a bit of comedy in that. Maybe, maybe a little bit. Of, I don't think it was purely played for laughs, but I, I get what you mean. I, I, yeah, I think that was that was what they were going for. The scream blasts the church tower, causing Venom, Cassidy, and Carnage to fall inside the church. As Cassidy lay, lies in the rubble in pain, he watches as Venom takes the cowering red blob that is Carnage and devours him instantly. As a, as a weak Cassidy watches, he pleads with Eddie and says that all he wanted was his friendship. Family. Re- it needs to be family. <laughs> yes, family. Would, as we said <laughs> earlier, like a, like an angry... angry uh, what? One of the Mitchell brothers. Which Mitchell brother? Which, what, what are you family. talking about? Oh, you right. Okay, about? okay. Phil. Phil. We'll go for Phil. Phil Mitchell is family. As a weak Cassidy watches, he pleads with Eddie and says all he wanted was his friendship. But Brock rejects this before Venom eats Cassidy's head. <laughs> also, <laughs> Carnage. Sorry, but my mic. Carnage saying the film's title felt very on the nose, though, didn't it? Yeah, I felt that what yeah. they did is <laughs> earlier in the movie, they tried to introduce this thing of Cassidy talks in poetic verse. Mm. And I think that was entirely there so that he can say. Let yeah, there be carnage, because there's no other way of getting that into a, of having a character say that. Well done on them for at least setting trying. the groundwork for that. For at least so. trying to set the groundwork. I think up so. Yeah, it was I mean, logically, it's, logically it's there, but it's still there's, there's there's no way of because it's the name of the film. Like there's this whole like um, I can't understand why they wouldn't call it Maximum Carnage. I think. Uh, then again, they did it with uh, with Captain America's Civil War. It's not exactly like we have to get it right as the comic book version was. Then they're obviously not using the character again. They bit his head off. Yeah. Eh, I don't know. I, I, I wish I had that in the production notes why they chose the name, but obviously I'm not good enough, Rob. I, I trawled through the wrong bit. I, I, I don't imagine they've announced it, really. <laughs> yeah, I guess. 
what happens though uh, the first time Venom and Carnage fight in the comics? Well, Carnage has gone on this like citywide killing spree, mm. um, and as we said, he gets confronted by Spider-Man once, but he gets uh, trounced by Carnage and barely escapes with his life. Um, he has to enlist the help of of his most hated foe, Venom, because he's like, this is the only person that can help me. Now, at the time, Eddie Brock and his symbiote are living an idyllic life on a tropical island Ree. with the corpse of Spider-Man. <laughs> what? So in their last encounter, Spider-Man uh, was trapped on this tropical island, deserted tropical island, with, with um, Venom. Mm. And his only way to escape was he basically faked his own death by putting his costume onto an already dead body and convincing the insane Venom that Spider-Man was dead. Mm. And Venom was so happy. He was like, ended his bloodlust, <laughs> his vendetta is gone, and he just chills out on this beach for several months. I don't know what he's eating. Um, so Spider-Man like returns to shatter Eddie's paradise and uh, has like, I'm sorry, I'm alive, you hate me, but also there's this other guy you're really going to hate. Um, <laughs> and Venom, when he hears that, like his uh, his old cellmate is using a, a, a symbiote from his symbiote to murder innocent people, he's like, "I'm like Venom's partly responsible." So he agrees to um, help Spider Man to stop Carnage if Spider Man agrees to let Venom go at mm. the end of it all. Um, the battle doesn't go terribly well. Um, they end up at a Bruce is it a Bruce Springsteen concert? Maybe not. No, it's a big. No, no, it's not. I'm thinking of a Captain America fight. They they end up at a at a big um, like metal concert, mm. um, and Carnage is just stabbing people in the crowd. It's. Ooh. I remember reading that as a kid, going that I've been in the crowd. Yeah, there's like that's ho- like that's a horrible thought that you could be in a crowd and someone's just going around, and again. There was something really horrifying about Carnage having not not having a plan. Like yeah, he's not just, he's not trying to kill the commissioner or the mayor or JJ. He's just killing anyone in front of him, anyone he doesn't care about him. Um, so yes, they they have to they they're, they're both Venom and Spider Man, both really overpowered by by Carnage, um, and eventually it's left to. Venom to distract Carnage with like a full on fight, mm. uh, while Spider Man he uses the um, sound system to blast mm. both of them with with um, with a, a, a huge amount of sonic frequency that hurts the symbiotes, and then he gets help from the Fantastic Four um, as. Spider-Man goes back on his word. He gave his word and shook Eddie Brock's hand and said, "I'll let you go." After you help me catch Carnage, mm. um, and then he turns, he turns on Venom, and he's like, "I can't let you go." Um, and he uses the Fantastic Four to use like Human Torch's flames and a sonic gun that Reed Richards has built to capture both symbiotes and both men separately. Um, there's a Reed Richards is the only symbiote expert on the planet. If go back to the eighties, does not surprise me. The first person to discover that Spider-Man's amazing new black costume was actually an alien parasite was Reed Richards, and he's the one that came up with. Um, uh, it lived in a vacuum. It's probably hurt by loud noises <laughs> and fire because <laughs> they don't exist in a vacuum. It's Very never true. encountered them before, so he's the first one to kind of capture it. There is a cool scene at the end where 
Spider-Man does really regret breaking his word and like essentially betraying Eddie. Um, and J. Jonah Jameson is like, don't call yourself a hero. You gave that man your word, even though he hates <laughs> hates Venom. So like, you gave him your word. You turned Captain America would never have done that. And Spider Man like flips. He gets right in Jonah's face, and he goes, "You're right. Captain America like would never have given his word." You would have found it a perfect solution. I ain't cap. I'm not perfect. I had to do a. I had to do a <laughs> shitty thing, and I don't like. I had to do it, but I had to do it. He's a killer. Um, it's kind of a cool moment. Uh, yeah, yeah. So okay. it's it's only with extreme like help that they managed to stop Carnage. But Venom has no chance on his own in the comics. Oh, fantastic! As Brock thanks Anne and Dan for their help. <laughs> oh my god, Anne and Dan uh, Mulligan just about alive awakens with his eyes flashing blue, revealing that he somehow absorbed a part of one of the symbiotes. So Mulligan's eyes flashing blue. That sounds like a setup for the next movie. I take it he's a character from the Marvel comics? Yeah, this is Toxin. Um, A character designed to be more powerful than both Venom and Carnage. Mm. Um, Peter Mulligan in the comic books is a uh, New York cop, and one day on duty he comes across um, the site where Carnage is giving birth to a new symbiote. Um, Carnage needs a host to hide the symbiote to keep it from Venom. Mm. Um, and he kind of essentially shoves it onto Mulligan and bonds it to him. Um, and it doesn't, it takes ages, to, it takes a while to fully develop. Um, but he wants to make sure Venom gets nowhere near it. Carnage is resolved to kill the symbiote and its host, Mulligan, this cop, while Venom hopes the. That he might be able to use this new symbiote as a partner mm. um, to fight Carnage off and everything, uh, mm. but he's still twisted about all, all, how his logic works. So Carnage and Venom have a big fight over over Mulligan and this new symbiote, and Venom christens the new symbiote Toxin after himself. Uh, Venom and, and yeah, Toxin. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Toxin is depicted in design as being a mix of like Venom and Carnage. So he's like that blue black from the abdomen down and then red black from the weight from the abdomen up. So he's meant to be like both Venom and Carnage kind of in one. Um and it is revealed that he is the 1000th symbiote in the in the line. The line that goes Venom and then Carnage and then Toxin. And oh, wow. That is a big concern for Venom. Venom's symbiote is concerned that the toxin symbiote it will experience genetic breakdown because there's just been too too long of a line. Like, because mm. there's no other DNA coming from anywhere else. Oh, uh, yes, it'd be like inbreeding. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that it will be yeah. prone to psychotic madness. Um, yeah. So Venom... And maybe a Habsburg jaw. And then maybe a what? <laughs> Habsburg jaw over my head. Oh, sorry. It's it's a it's a reference to inbreeding. It was a very famous like ah. uh, aristocracy. You had the jutting jaw. And oh, it was like, it's it's a jokey. Th- it's basically a sign of inbreeding. Oh, I see. Obvious sign of in- the Habsburg jaw. If you Google it after this podcast, you'll see what I mean. Very well. So Venom kind of essentially turns on Toxin and wants Toxin dead, just in case Toxin becomes. Um, mad Carnage wants Toxin dead because Carnage hates the idea that it was pregnant and gave birth and doesn't want anything around that like the world just wants to kill stuff and they're both concerned that 
um, Toxin is already seemingly as strong as the two of them and is still growing and maturing, so they're both worried it's going to be more powerful and they don't like that idea. So eventually, Spider Man gets involved, helps Toxin fight them both off, and tries to encourage him to, um, you know, be a hero and fight off his base urges. But yes, that's. Uh, that's um, where Peter Mulligan characters come from, and, and Toxin is the mix of both of them. Oh, I'm expecting him to see him in the sequel. Then apparently that's in development. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I. I'm amazed to see Stephen Graham in this. I don't know if he wants to do that. I, I mean, I think he likes Tom Hardy. They've worked together in the past, but well, maybe let's get someone else to play him. Yeah, who know? Who knows? I mean, knows? I, I sometimes these things don't. Once you go outside of the MCU, mm. I don't always think this teasing the next thing that's going to happen p- pays off. Sometimes you set something up and then they never make another movie again, or yeah. it just doesn't. You know, well, it did. That, that, it certainly did. The first one teased Carnage, and we got Carnage. So who knows? Well, I was on Twitter the other day, and there's someone posted that uh, the the post credit sequence from Morbius. Where he meets up with uh, Vulture. Oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, and I was just like, I just said, cut to Michael Keaton in, in a voice operating booth with his head in his hand, absolutely phoning it in and just hating every minute or whatever. Yeah, that wasn't his voice, I don't believe. You 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 don't think it was his voice? No. They just use his likeness in the archive footage. I don't, and then just... I... I don't think they used that. I, I don't think it was a guy in a mask because we never saw his face, mm. and someone else doing the voice or something. You know, ah, oh, bloody hell. Anyway, we come up to the last bit of the film now. After reconciling their differences, Brock and Venom, now fugitives, decide to take a vacation on a tropical island while they ponder their next steps. In a mid-credit scene, as Venom tells Brock about their symbiote's knowledge of other universes, a blinding light transports them from their hotel room <coughs> to another room where they watch J. Jonah Jameson talking about Spider-Man's revealed identity as Peter Parker on television. Venom then licks the screen after saying, That guy. Uh, one of the songs that caught my ear, uh, and I found out, I had to look it up, was a brass band covering Joy Division's Love Will Tear Us Apart. Did you notice that? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you? What did you feel of the um, of the mid credit scene? Well, we, I, I think I think we're going to. Uh, I think we're going to discuss this more than we actually should. But I genuinely, because we we talked about it before. I don't know if we um, talked about it on the podcast or or you know when we're being friends uh, in normal <laughs> life. Engage friend mode. <laughs> Engage friend mode. Uh, it was a way of go of of Tony going. Okay, you can have your venom. We'll keep our venom. You can you can possibly have a venom in the MCU. That's what I, even on a why symbolic would Sony level, do that? Was Sony know. involved? Maybe in that bit. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe there was part of a contract that went. Okay, we can do this da, 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 or something, or use of the character or it, whatever. It, it, it could it could well be that that's how you. Maybe you don't have them have them fight. Maybe you have. Spidey versus uh, Tom Holland versus his own Venom, yeah, and then he has to get help from other Venom. I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? That's why. That's why I think maybe it's teeing up for Secret War. Uh, in stop! 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 Just st- you all. Every time all I you say, people need to stop this. Every time I say anything like this, the word you always say is "Don't do this to yourself." Don't. <laughs> that, that, that's a, you. We know apps. We 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 know. Here's what we know, right? Yeah. 
we know there's a Venom symbiote in a Spider-Man movie. There's a Venom symbiote in a Sony Watsy movie. There might be another symbiote in Stephen Graham's character. There's very likely going to be a Venom, another Venom movie. There's very likely going to be another Spider-Man movie. It's perfectly understandable to kind of speculate about what might happen there. Mm. To go in three years' time in an Avengers movie, Venom's going to turn up, is madness. Maybe it'll happen, but it's madness to start talking that way. Okay, okay. Now, when you put it like that, you make me sound like a conspiracy theorist. It's because that's what you and your little group on Twitter and Reddit, you're all the same. You're all like that. You're all mad. No, it's, okay, we're not mad. We're you doing are. It in the most, we're doing it in the most mild way. We're speculating. You're we're not ruining your own enjoyment of future things. So, uh, <laughs> at the end of the film, there is a... Obviously, it's a bit weird seeing Eddie and Venom on a tropical island after leaving the big city. I take it is that a reference to them being on a desert island? Uh, yes, it, it seems. It seems to be. I think a reference to uh, what's called Isla de Isla de Huesos, uh, Isla de Huesos, uh, which is the the tropical island. Oh, I couldn't. I, I'm not. I don't oh, speak no. the language. Um, no. I barely speak this one. The tropical island really? Eddie Eddie kind of lives on when he thinks he's finally killed Spider Man and ended his quest for, for vengeance is kind of informally known as venom island um and it's in the caribbean sea it's abandoned and eddie has returned to it a few times in the comics and i think just the fact that eddie and the symbiote are both very happy there in in on a tropical island i think it is it is island of Hesos, yeah there we have it venom 2 let there be carnage put to bed a deep dive done diligently <laughs> i can't think of any more d's bye you boys <laughs> uh, as we pulled apart carnage pulled apart venom pulled apart she venom and dug into all that delicious trivia on the gooeyness inside will i'd really like to get your perspective as our film guy on this movie well it was a lot better than what i thought it would be solid six out of ten film for me I, I I mean, the first film was all right, but this one I felt like I hit its stride more. The CGI isn't great, but the action scenes are good. They're enough. Uh, film moves at a good pace. And as we said earlier, only 90-ish minutes. What a lovely late amount of minutes. While a lot of the laughs are stupid and almost trivialise one of Spider-Man's most vicious foes, I did laugh out loud a fair bit. And I think I actually, as I said, prefer this to the first film. While the first film was marketed as being Dark Marvel, this one just felt like Tom Hardy's version of Venom, and it found its it found its own feet. And you know, you you can you can talk about how it doesn't match the comic and it's, it makes some differences, but it it worked for me. I mean, it's not gonna it's not gonna like uh, burst any bubbles for me or anything uh, or break expectations, but I was entertained. This film is entertaining. Yeah, I definitely, I think I agree with you there. I think it's definitely better than the first one. Um, <clears throat> that whole, uh, hey guys, we're going to be darker than Marvel was was, yeah. was a bit ugh in the first one. Anyway. I mean, DC I, tried to do that and look what happened. I think they've, <laughs> um, I think they have squandered Carnage, I think. Although this was an entertaining mm. film. Yeah, I do think they've squandered Carnage and they could have done something elevated with it. But. Uh, yeah, lots of fun. Enjoyed the action scenes and things, and I enjoyed the comedy. Um, reading list for this episode. Um, if you want to check out the early adventures of Carnage, check out uh, it's an 
Marvel Epic Collection, Carnage Born in Blood, which collects his origins, first stories, and um, first battle with Venom and Spidey and stuff. Um, Maximum Carnage is the Carnage story, a time capsule of 90s Spider-Man. Massive crossover, full of fighting, and forces Spider-Man to confront his no-killing rule for the first time. Loads of 90s characters in it. Um, and it's also our bonus episode for this month. Um, you can get a collection of that knocking around. Um, to read about Venom and Carnage fighting in cyberspace, um, <laughs> check out a collection called Venom Carnage Unleashed. As ever, we urge you all to not use Amazon for your um, comic book purchases. There are lots of online stores that will deliver to your home that will basically share the money better with the comic industry than amazon ever will support local stores as well there might be a bricks and mortar store near where you live there generally is all, all over the the, uh, the 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 first world there's a comic book store nearby you could walk to it you can say hello and chat to the person you can ask their advice and say hey i like this movie can you recommend a cool comic um and that could be a good way of, uh, of getting that built up um but yes you can always find online stores that will uh, that will support the comic book industry and deliver to your house and take paypal that's a big thing you can do um don't forget march the 25th the live show marvel versus marvel at the arena theater in wolverhampton you can check the show notes for the link you can head to us on twitter at marvel versus for our pinned tweets and we hope that you get your tickets in advance come and meet us come and greet us come and take photos yes. talk to us ask us questions we'll be there having loads of fun on a saturday in march next episode will are you ready for this i am always ready rob as we said, our big project for this year and going forward is going to be to head back to the first movies that we tackled when we didn't know how to make a podcast and to do it properly, to give it the full MVM version. We're doing that in our next episode as we go and bring you Iron Man Remastered. This will not be a rehashing of anything. It's going to be taking the classic marvel movie the first mcu movie giving it the current modern mvm treatment we're going to do the history the context the behind the scenes the behind the page and a proper deep dive things we never gave to the movie when we started this podcast so many years ago um really looking forward to be able to giving this our full attention and bringing you the full story on iron man iron man remastered the next episode for bonus content head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston and our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel for awesome bonus content. Marvel vs. Marvel